Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today and thank you again for joining us uh, every week at the same time and for uh, just, you know, valuing this time with us um, and the opportunities we have to share the word with you. We definitely value it. Uh, let me just uh, thank you for doing that. And let me just encourage you that if you are being blessed by uh, this ministry to tell your friends about us. Now what we're doing right now is we're teaching a series on the seven I am's of Jesus. I believe today's program is the 16th program that we have aired to date. And we have dealt with this is the fourth one, and we will probably conclude it today unless I don't get finished. Uh, but you say, well, I just joined in, and man, I am loving what you're saying, but I missed the first 15 of them. Well, the good news is you can go back and watch them at your leisure because everything we air, we put on our YouTube channel and you can go there and watch them on demand at your leisure. If you, you say, well, I don't have time to uh, sit down and watch the program uh, on, on video, but I, 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 I spend a lot of time in my car commuting to work or uh, when I'm on an airplane. Let me just tell you that you can get the audio portions of these messages on our podcast on iTunes. Uh, if you don't have a, a Apple device, we have an RSS feed for your Android device that has the audio portions on it. And uh, the easiest way to do that would be to go to our website, and that, that, that address will be on the screen in the lower thirds, probably throughout this program. If you will simply go to my website at lynnhiles.com, there is in the upper right-hand corner of the opening page icons of YouTube, iTunes and the little robot that looks like an Android for your Android device. If you simply tap on those icons, there is a direct link that will take you to those pages. You can sign up there as a subscription that costs you nothing, and we aren't going to harass you. Uh, there's no, we don't contact you through that at all, but it is totally free. But if you sign up and subscribe to the page, uh, then you get a notice in your email that uh, there's a new program that's coming up uh, and that is available to you. So you can watch them for free. We encourage you to share them with your friends. Share them on your uh, Facebook page, your social media. We encourage you to do that. We are more interested in getting the message out than anything else. And so you, you, you're welcome to do that and to tell folks about that. While you're at the website, if you'd like to, you can look at some of the products we have. We have, of course, uh, four books we've written, and you can uh, get our books. We have a whole lot of CDs and, and audios, uh, both download and in CD format, if you'd like to get some of those. And when you get those, when you purchase those products and the ones we're going to offer at the end of the show, that's part of our partner base that helps us touch a lot of people through television and media and travel ministry. Uh, we, in April of 2019, celebrated 40 years, 40 years of full-time traveling ministry. And, uh, uh, and it's been nothing short of a miracle. What an adventure we've had. We've enjoyed the journey. And part of those CDs and books are all part of my journey as we've taught the Word of God. Let's get back in the Scriptures today, though, because we're talking about the fourth I Am of Jesus. Now, in, in uh, John chapter 10 is where he says this. He says, I am the Good Shepherd. 
and he says uh, uh, that gives his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth him, and scatters the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and have known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. He's talking about the inclusion of the Gentiles here. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd, and therefore does my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself, and I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Now what we've primarily done in every segment is show you that when Jesus said, I am, it was always in contrast to what their mindset thought was. In other words, when he says, I am the bread of life, he says this, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead, but I am the true bread. In other words, you thought that was the bread, that's not the bread, I'm the bread. Uh, we, we talked about I am the door. You thought the door was through performance-based religious system and an old covenant paradigm, but that's not the door. I'm the door, and the only way into the sheepfold is not through your performance. It's through the door, which is Jesus Christ. You thought Moses was the light, but do not think I will condemn you to the Father. Jesus was the true light. You thought that was the light, but it was not the light. Jesus was the light who produced the life. So the I am's of Jesus is always in contrast to something. So when he says, I am the true shepherd, we showed you three in the last three segments that they thought these rulers of the synagogues were the shepherds, but in fact they were the shepherds that Isaiah talked about that had come to scatter the flock, and they were in fact hirelings, and they were the ones that were the blind leaders of the blind, and uh, they were the ones that he was saying, you thought they're the shepherds, they're not the shepherds. I'm the shepherd, and I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. It was in that backdrop that we began to open Psalm 23 last week, and I want to recap just a little bit as we springboard and try to finish this segment on Psalm 23. But knowing that Jesus is the true shepherd, we look at Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That means not that I don't have any desires. It means I will lack for nothing. When the Lord is your shepherd, He's your pastor, He will always make sure you've been brought into green pastures. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and He leads me beside still waters. And last week I talked about how this green pastures speak of the new covenant. We really spent a lot of time unpacking the fact that green was significant here. I showed you in Revelation chapter 4 that he said that there was a rainbow around about the throne in sight likened to an emerald. An emerald is green. And a rainbow is the symbol of a covenant. Remember Noah? That was the symbol of the covenant God made with Noah. And so when this rainbow is around about the throne, the throne is a symbol of the kingdom. So I see the kingdom and the rainbow as being the new covenant, which is the constitution 
of the kingdom of God, and it is green. So whenever you see an emerald rainbow, that symbol, he said, and so, so when he leads you into green pastures, it's simply saying he's leading you into new covenant reality, and that's where you need to feed from. He leads us into green pastures. I talked about last week how the prophet said, I will anoint you with fresh oil, and the Hebrew word for fresh there is the Hebrew word green. I'm going to anoint you with green oil. Uh, I'm going to anoint you with a new covenant anointing. If there's ever been an anointing we need, it's a new covenant anointing. I also talked about how out of the Song of Solomon uh, there was a, a divine romance that unfolds. And uh, he begins to wine and dine the Shulamite woman, which ultimately becomes his bride. And when he brings her into the chambers of the king of his bedroom, it takes her breath away, and she makes this statement, Behold, our bed is green. Now that's significant, because first of all, again, green is the symbol of new covenant realities, but it's also the place that brings us into rest. So if the bedroom in the Song of Solomon, his bed is green, that speaks of rest, romance, and reproduction. There's an outline for some preacher right there. Rest, romance, and or I might even start with romance, uh, reproduction, and rest. But the reality of it is, is that that place where uh, he brought her into, where his banner over her was love, as he brought her into the chambers of the bedroom where the bed was green, the place of rest. Now when I started to deal with that last week, I told you that when he brings you into green pastures or realities of the new covenant, it starts to bring you beside still waters. In other words, you start to come into this incredible posture of rest where the next verse comes into play, He restores my soul. See, when you, when, you know, when you come back into a new covenant reality, it gives you back your life, your soul. What would a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, I, I know that deals with eternal values as well. But receiving the end of your faith, which is the salvation of our soul, I believe is to bring us back into right relationship with God and our true identity with who we are in the new creation as well. He restores my soul. And when He begins to restore my soul, it's what, you know, again, Romans 12 said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word mind there has to do with soul, our mind, will, and emotions. So the law can, can conform you, but grace will transform you. So the renewing of your soul, He, he uh, restores my soul, is the renewing of my mind as He brings me into the revelation of who I am in Christ. I think about even, well, I don't want to sidetrack too much, but I think about the brazen laver in the tabernacle of Moses, which was made, whether you know it or not, it was this great big basin that was made from the looking glasses or the mirrors of the women who stood at the door of the tabernacle. And they were brass mirrors. And then the, Moses took them and beat them down into this molten sea. And then he filled that basin with water from the smitten rock so that the priest could wash the sacrifices in this basin and the blood would get in the water. Now you say, what are you saying about that? I'm telling you that what God wants us to do 
It's just like he did the children of Israel. He told the women to bring your mirror, your looking glass from Egypt. In other words, God wants to beat down that old image of who you thought you were because of a bondage slave mentality. And he wants to bring you into a new revelation of your new identity. And if you take those looking glasses that first of all came from Egypt, because you came out of Egypt with a bad image of yourself. You were like James said, a double-minded man, a double-souled man. I'm talking about the renewing of your soul and the restoring of your soul is to bring you back to right relationship and back to right identity with God to who you truly are because right believing will bring right living. It will take you to the next part of the scripture where it leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Because once they took these mirrors and melted them down and beat them down and poured it full of water from the smitten rock and then put the blood of the sacrifice in it, the only way you could see yourself from then on is not how Egypt seen you, but through the blood. When Hallelujah. If you could just see yourself through the work of the blood of Jesus Christ and the water from that smitten rock, it will change who you think you truly are, and it will, it, will, it will remove that old image. And it's like James said, you will become a doer of the word and not just a hearer, because a doer of the word and not just a hearer is like a man who beheld his natural face in a, as in a mirror. And he beheld the glory of the Lord, and then he straightway left and forgot what manner of man he was. In other words, he looked into the mirror and saw who he was in the new creation and then forgot what manner of man he was. The only way you can leave once you look into the mirror of the Word of God and into the new covenant and go do your own thing is you have to forget that the man in the mirror is the new man. But in order to produce this path of righteousness for his namesake, I can't come back and beat you up and say, you loser, you, you, you are in Adam, you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel, you're a sinner. No, no. Paul came back when he dealt with sin at the Corinthian church and said, let me put you in remembrance of things. Once you were darkness, but now you're light. What? Do you not know you are the temple of the Holy Ghost? In other words, Paul brings them back to their true identity. That's feeding people on green pastures. That's leading them beside still waters. That's leading them to drink from the rock which was Christ and bringing them to the place of the restoration of the soul and bringing them into uh, the path of righteousness for His namesake. Because if you really believe you're righteous, the just will live by faith. I can't help but think about what Paul said when he said in Philippians, nevertheless, I believe it's chapter 3, he says, nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained. Let us walk by the same rule. In other words, let's get a revelation of what we already got, who we already are, and what we've already attained. And once we do that, that becomes the governing factor that we walk out of what we believe to be true of ourselves. Because what we really believe is what we act on. And what we don't need is somebody to continually rob us of faith of believing who we are. We need to be, I believe, edified, built up, and continually reminded of who we are in the new creation. Then he goes on to say in verse 4, Yea, though I walk through, and the key word here is through, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now I think the valley of the shadow of death is the shadow of his death of Calvary. 
Because when we're walking through, the key word is that our enemies are not going to devour us in the valley. We are in the shadow of a death. In other words, His death was my death, and I will fear no evil because He is with us in the new covenant. Uh, let me just read from my notes. The shadow of the death is the shadow of Calvary's tree. We do not Walking, we do not walk in fear of evil because in the new covenant He will never leave us nor forsake us. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind, and perfect love in the new covenant cast out fear. Now, we're not operating out of fear in the new covenant. The old covenant operates by fear. The new covenant operates out of love. It is the love of Christ that constrains us. See, a lot of people accuse us preaching grace, that we're giving people a license for sin. No, we're giving you the only thing that can be an antidote for it, because where sin abounds, that's where grace will superabound. And that Greek word is hyper, hooper. It will hooperabound. You need hyper grace for hyper sin. And where sin abounds, that's where grace will superabound. And so perfect love then cast out fear, because He will not leave us nor forsake us. And then he says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil until my cup runs over. Now let me just say again that he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Uh, that, 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 let me just take this first of all and say, you talk about preparing a table in the presence of some enemies. I think of this as the communion table. Now let's take this to the night before Jesus' decease. He's literally having the Last Supper. He's sitting with His disciples, and they're eating this lamb, and He said, I have greatly desired to eat this Passover. And He, at that table, begins to take the bread, and said, This bread is My body, which was broken for you. This blood of the New Covenant is the New Covenant in My blood which is poured out for you. What he's really said, see we don't really get this because we're, we're, we're 2,000 years removed. But what he's saying to them is, you've done this ritual for almost 1,500 years of killing the lamb and having a Passover meal, but he's really saying this is the last one because I'm the true Lamb of God, I'm the true shepherd, I'm the true bread, and this is the covenant cup that's about to be poured out for you, and I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm inaugurating a new covenant from this moment forward. It is the night before His decease, and He prepares a table before them literally in the presence of their enemies. And the last enemy is death, because He's about to defeat death in just about three days. So He's preparing a table, and He says, there's something on this table that's going to sustain you. Because this table of communion doesn't disqualify you, it includes you. Oh, I, I, there's so much to say here. Let me just say this as well. Uh, I mean, you know, he's saying to them the night before his decease. I, I did a series back some time ago called A Table in the Presence of My Enemies that you can go and get it on, my, uh, on the website. But I talk about how he prepares this table in the presence of his enemies. And the Lord said to me, you ate your way into this problem. You can eat your way out of it. And I said, Lord, if you can eat your way into this problem, this is my cup of tea because I was born for this. <laughs> And I said, what are you saying, Lord? He said, it all started with an eating disorder in Eden's misty garden when I said to Adam, do not eat from this tree. And so you ate your way into the problem. But see, when he got ready to deliver the children of Israel from Egypt, he said, listen, 
you can eat your way out of this problem. He told Moses, said, get a lamb in the night, roast with fire, bitter herbs, unleavened bread. Because as soon as you get the people to get enough lamb in their belly, they're going to get up in Egypt in the middle of the night, and they're going to say, I was not born to live in bondage. I was born for something greater than this. See, I believe if we can serve a steady diet of nothing but lamb, nothing but mutton, if you will, uh, that people can feed on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And at some point, I don't care what kind of bondage you're in, whether it's religious bondage or substance abuse bondage, you get enough lamb in your belly, enough lamb in your house, and enough blood on the doorpost of your house, and you will get up out of whatever bondage you're in and leave there saying, I was born for freedom. I was not born for this kind of bondage. And Jesus in that night begins to give that communion to all of the disciples who are going to betray him before the night is over, including, including Judas. And he would say, this is my body, which is broken for you. And Pete says, Lord, I'll die with you. I, I, man, I am going to, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm ready to go to fight with you, man. And uh, uh, Jesus said, man, Pete, before the, the rooster crows, you're going to deny me, son. And I think Peter means it prior to you know, him being infilled with the Holy Spirit because he hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit yet. The gift of the Holy Spirit had not been poured out in Acts chapter 2 yet. And, and Jesus looks at him and says to him, listen, Pete, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. And just a few verses later, Peter denies the Lord. Jesus comes out of the courtyard, looks at Peter, and we think sometimes when the rooster crowed that Peter probably dropped his head and walked away in condemnation. And maybe he felt that way. But I think what the rooster was doing was not announcing a condemnation. The rooster was announcing a new day. If you've ever been on the farm, the first sign of daylight, a rooster starts to crow. What Jesus was doing is saying, listen, man, you're going to deny me. But there's a new day coming. And then we go right into chapter 14 of John, which will probably would be one of my near segments. And in John 14, the very next verse, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And he says that, we, we, we put the, uh, the separation of chapters, the translators did. So there's a continuing dialogue going here. In other words, he says, this, let me put it in context. Pete, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows. But let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, this communion table, we've used it so many times in Corinthians to disqualify people, when in reality it's not meant to disqualify, it's meant to qualify you. And when you, you know, if you eat and drink it unworthily, when it talks about that in, in Corinthians, you eat and drink damnation to your soul. He's not saying if you come to the table and you've got something in your life that you're going to go to hell if you eat this cracker. What he's saying is if you eat it unworthily in an unworthy manner, in other words, you don't realize that it's what's on this table that made you worthy. It's like saying, you know, Jesus said earlier, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any life in you. It was like when I was growing up, people said, well, God ain't going to fill you with the Holy Ghost because He don't dwell in an unclean vessel. But then He says when the Holy Spirit's come, He'll reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So if it's the Holy Spirit that does the work, but you've got to be perfect to get it, then what's the Holy Ghost going to do? In other words, it's like an oxymoron. But what He's saying is if you'll come to the table and belly up to the table and feed on what's on the table, that the death of this Lamb was not just substitutionary in the fact that he said, when I see the blood in Exodus, I will pass over you. He said, take the blood and put it on the doorpost of your house. 
because when I see the blood, I will not suffer the death angel to invade your house, but he said, I'm going to smite all the firstborn of Israel. What we mistakenly preach is that when uh, they put the blood on the doorpost that said their house escapes, that's not completely true. What the blood on the doorpost of the house said is that there's already been a death exacted here, and the death of the Lamb was the death of the firstborn. Jesus was the firstborn. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies so that He can anoint our head with oil until our cup runs over. The oil of anointing is the oil of gladness and the joy that flows from a new covenant understanding. It's an overflowing cup. And he then goes on to say, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me just read my notes because I'm about to run out of time. Goodness and mercy are all the results of an understanding of what Jesus did in His redemptive work. The servant does not abide in the house, but the son abides forever. In the house, and, and, and we are not servants, but we're sons. He is the house and the tabernacle in which we live. Revelation 21 declares that there was no temple for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb or the temple thereof. That symbolism that declares that we are in Him and He is in us. We are in Christ and Christ is in us and we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You're not disqualified, you're qualified. I, I, I can't stress that enough. That when, Matter of fact, what you need to do is come to the table. Belly up to the table. You've got to be like Mephibosheth. He was invited to the king's table. He thought the king was going to destroy him and kill him. He was the son of, of, of Jonathan. And David, when he came into the palace, uh, Mephibosheth thought that David would kill him. He said, what am I but a dead dog in the presence of the king? And King David looked at him and said, what I want to say to you today, he said, I didn't bring you here to kill you. Mephibosheth, I brought you here to give you back all your father's inheritance, and all I want for you to do is to sit at my table forever, to belly up to my table and feed from the king's table. And I promise you that even though Mephibosheth was crippled in both of his feet, he said to his staff and his sons, whatever you do, do not look under the table and make fun of his crippled feet. Because if you look under the table, what you're going to find out is that everybody at the table is crippled. Something is under the table that we're all crippled in. But the point was not the focus is not what's on under the table. The focus is on what's on the table, and what's on the table is lamb, what's on the table is bread and wine of the new covenant. It's what we feed as under shepherds. He's the good shepherd. I will lack for nothing. Let me encourage you, pastor, minister, teacher, Sunday school teacher, feed them in green pastures. It will restore their soul. It will lead them in the path of righteousness. It will do the work that it was meant to do. Uh, we're running out of time. I appreciate you. If you'd like to sow a seed into this ministry and help us to stay on the air, continue to follow us as we do this I Am series. Uh, you'd like to give, just call the number on the screen. Someone will be there to take your call. You can give via credit card or debit card. If you don't get an answer and you'd like a return call, please leave a message and we will call you back. Uh, the easiest way to do this, of course, is simply to go to the website because the phones may be jammed. And you go to our website, there's a place where you can give through PayPal. We can take your credit card or your debit card through PayPal and you can also sign up for a monthly debit if you'd like to become a monthly partner. If you can't do that, you can send a check or money order to the address that will come up on the screen. And we appreciate you doing that. It's what helps us stay on the air. God bless you. Thank you for joining us again this week. The word repentance means to change your mind, 
The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.